Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the first place New England Revolution put in a, an impressive performance to take a 2-0 road win in Toronto behind goals from Bobby Wood and Dewan Jones. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Andy Judd from Revs Nation. Andy, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good day. My Bryant Bulldogs are the American East lacrosse champions, so congratulations to them. <laughs> I also want to quickly thank our listeners for getting us to 100 ratings on iTunes. You heard our call last week and got us there. I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks again for all of our listeners for all their ratings and reviews. Um, well, let's jump right into this one. Uh, I want to get right into our key takeaways, which are brought to you by our friends at the Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out on Twitter at Any Rebellion and on their website, anyrebellion.org. Andy, what was your key takeaway from this one? Uh, my key takeaway here uh, was was just an, is a next man up mentality for New England. Uh, I was a little bit um, curious before the match to see how the Revs were going to line up, especially with Dylan Barrero going out. Uh, with that unfortunate injury last week. And um, what we saw was was effectively the same formation uh, as, as they'd played the week before. They swapped in, uh, I think, Esmir, and they swapped in uh, Wood for, for Renix. But otherwise, it was, it was functionally the same. We've seen the Revs play a lot of different formations this season. You know, they played the 4-4-2, the right? They, they played with two forwards before uh, a number of times. They played a flat 4-4-2, a diamond 4-4-2. Uh, and they played a four-two-three-one and a four-three-three. So it was it was interesting to see them just kind of go with the same strategy, even without their arguably, I think, their best winger. Um, and, and to good effect too. You know, you can't complain too much about the result, especially. Um, but you know, good performances from from Boateng. I thought Esmir had a pretty decent day overall. Um, and of course, you know, you had uh, Wood come in and get the goal. So. I don't think you can complain too much about uh, about any of that, and I, I think it's impressive that they were able to roll out the same basic tactics even without their best uh, best wing player. Um, so you know, I think that's my key takeaway is that it's just good overall uh, from the Revs, uh, and um, yeah, just just good uh, a good thing for them to be able to to have that flexibility, to have that tactical flexibility to to keep uh, keep rolling out the same general uh, style. Yeah, and I think the formations looked good two weeks in a row, too, um, despite get, only getting the tie against Cincinnati. Do you think this is the formation they stick with? Uh, you know, I think it's going to kind of depend. Um, you know, Bruce tends to like to shift formations based upon who's available and who the opponent is a little bit. So he's kind of, you know, he hasn't really settled on anything, I think, basically in his whole time as coach of the Revs. So we'll see. But I, I think this is kind of his preferred formation for now. And um yeah, I think we'll keep this, we'll keep seeing it as long as it keeps working. <laughs> yeah, and you talk about next man up mentality. My takeaway actually was 
inspired by one of the questions we got, which was Mike D on Twitter asking if this was the best depth the Revs have had in the past decade. I had to go one step further and say it's the best depth the Revs have ever had, although I think it's worth noting that league and roster rules made it a lot harder to have this level of depth 15 to 20 years ago, so it's not really a fair comparison. Um, (laughs) But I I would say this is the best depth the Revs have ever had, and I I think when you talk about that next man up mentality, it works because this team is so deep. Um, And why is it so deep compared to last year? Romney, Blessing, and Wood were all fantastic additions so far by Bruce Arena. Uh, Those are three three key spots that the Revolution added depth to. But then on top of that, Noel Buck, Esmir, and we haven't seen as much as Jack P, but they've all stepped up their game a lot this season. So the homegrowns have stepped up. So the combination of adding those three guys, having three homegrowns really step up, has really made this Revs depth uh, fantastic this year where it wasn't good enough last year and you know d- despite all that we still haven't seen Tommy McNamara who was a big part of the Revolution team last year we haven't seen Nacho Heal both of them have been out all season uh, you know there's other guys that have been in and out of the lineup so th- just the depth of this team has just proven fantastic when you have a guy uh, like Ejmir you know a young guy that can just step in when Dylan Brewer is out when you have Ima Boateng that has now proven he can be a starter for this team and perform really well when you have Noel Buck who you know despite there being veterans that can also play that same position has stepped up and really locked in a starting spot the way he's been playing it's just a fantastic depth that the revolution have this year that they haven't had in the past and you know that's why every week when we see somebody out that we're not expecting to be out or when we see somebody out that's out for a long term the revs have still found a way to keep going on and winning and you know it's it's something that you haven't really seen much of in new england in the past years to have this level of depth yeah, I, I I totally agree. You know, having those young homegrowns come up and and kind of get them, you know, their feet wet last year, and then kind of be able to continue their development into this year has been absolutely huge for the Revs. Uh, and you, and you mentioned those three off key off season signings, those key off season signings, and they were all they've all panned out. I would say just exactly as intended. So we went from a team last year that had kind of so so depth. You know, had a lot of uh, top end talents, and then the depth behind it was. Uh, you know, okay in places and, and maybe suspect in others. And I think uh, he really, you know, Bruce really shored up the the whole team in the off season and and those homegrowns uh, really make an impact as well. So it's it's a good deep team this year. Yeah, and they've they've already they've already really needed to test that depth, and it's worked out so far. And I think. That gets to the one topic I want to touch on before we got into listener questions because it is official that Dylan Barrero tore his ACL and was out for the season. It wasn't official when we talked about his injury last last week. Um, how do you think this impacts the revolution this season, and how do you think they compensate? Obviously, they got the win t- last night, which I think makes them makes us a little bit more hopeful on how things turn out, but that is a, obviously a key loss for the Revs, right? Oh, it's a huge loss. Um you know, there's we we haven't seen a ton of, of Jack Penny to this season. Um, and, you know, we haven't had to see a lot of him, mostly because Dylan Barrero has been been so good. Uh, and you can say the same for Esmir as well. Uh, we haven't seen uh, any of Nacho Heal this year. You know, Tommy McNamara has been injured. So we haven't had to see a ton of depth behind Barrero. But but really, there's no one on the roster that I can think of right now that brings that kind of dynamicism that you get from Barrero. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy who's willing to take players on, on the dribble. He's fast. He's, you know, good on the ball and he takes good shots. Um, and the Reds have players that have some of those qualities, but I don't know that they necessarily have a player that has all of those qualities in the same way. So, you know, what I think, of course, the win last night, uh, really helps kind of assuage some of the fears that we might be feeling about, you know, can they, can they hack it without him? Um, but I think, I won't be surprised, I guess I'll say, to see, uh, you know, a summer signing that uh, that attempts to address those issues. 
Yeah, especially when with all the other injuries the Revs have right now, we don't still don't know really what we're gonna get from Nacho Heel on the Revolution. Uh, you know, we saw some flashes from him last season, but with his injuries seeming to be long term, we don't know when he's gonna come back, and we also don't know what he's gonna provide when he does. You know, that that could be one of the answers to filling in for Dylan Barrero in addition to Esmir, in addition to Ima Boateng. Uh, but we we don't know yet. It's hard. It's hard to say. Um, again, hard to say you know, when he's going to be back too. So I, I wouldn't surprise me either if that's an area they do address, and they do have some flexibility to do so with with Barrero being put on the season-ending injury list. I believe they can replace him with a U22 initiative player. Of course, they need to figure out how that works long term. But if they bring someone in on loan, for example, uh, that could be a really good option for the Revolution. They do have that flexibility to play around there. So. Uh, with the with the summer coming up, it'll be very interesting to see how the Revs decide to address this, or if they end up using that spot somewhere else. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and the roster rules kind of make it complicated to figure out anything in this league, of course. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think there was a report that came out. I forget exactly who it was, uh, but it, it sounded like the Revs would be able to fill someone in that spot. Uh, in that U22 slot uh, now that Barrero's on the injured reserve. So will the Revs use it? I don't know. Um, and if they do, it would be a situation where, you know, we'd have to figure out what to do with him at the end of the season when Barrero comes back. So it's uh, it gets complicated, but, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, and, and my guess, too, is, you know, you look at the Revolution's DP situation, Gustavo Bo's contract's up at the end of the season. I'm not sure he's back next year. So the Revolution, in theory, could say, okay, well, we're going to move him from Gustavo Bo. We could sign a U22 guy long term and then use our third DP slot on a young DP. So we have the, the three U22 slots instead of the one, and then that solves that. But my guess, with based on how Bruce Arena practices, is that he's not going to want to tie his hands like that, that he wouldn't want to put himself in a situation where, you know, assuming they are moving on from Gustavo Bo after the season, they, they can't go out and sign a senior DP. Um, so my, my assumption is that's not how he's going to act, that he'll you know try to do something short-term that doesn't tie their hands. But it'll be definitely one of the things to watch. And with that flexibility, it would be a shame if the Rebs didn't find a way to use it somehow this season, especially with how good the team is looking. You, know, you want all hands on deck for a potential run at the title this year. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was, you know, I was thinking uh, as the summer you know, comes up here, we're going to see really where the revs are. They've got a couple of road games coming up, so we'll kind of see how things shake out there. But if the revs are looking like they are, are competing for a top spot, if they're competing for top of the East or top of the table, then yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some reinforcements coming in the summer just to, just to bolster the lineup a little bit. Um, is it going to be a like-for-like like, uh, kind of uh, Tejan slash Dylan Barrero type player? I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, I, I think if we're looking like, like we're competing for trophies, there's going to be some moves. Yeah, I think we saw two years ago when the Revolution won the Supporters' Shield, they didn't make any moves in the summer, and you always have to wonder if they're one player away from getting over that hump. So I, I, it would be disappointing if they didn't do that this year uh, with how well they're playing, especially if it keeps up. Um, but And I would expect that they would do something. Uh, we do have a lot of listener questions, so I will jump into those. Before we do, I want to take a quick minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GalacoKits.com today, you can save 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's a REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at GalacoKits.com. Andy, you ready for questions? Uh, always. <laughs> All right. First up from Thomas E. Thumb on Twitter. He says, I can't believe no one wanted Boateng just a few months ago. Is he arguably one of our most important players? Uh, it's it's baffling to me that, A, that, that Bruce Lina, Arena let um, Barrero, I'm sorry, 
that Bruce Arena let uh, Boateng walk in the offseason. And it's even more baffling to me that all the other teams could pick him up uh, in free agency, and, and none of them did. Um, he's been absolutely phenomenal for the Revs, even last year in a substitute role, and he's he seems to have picked up his game even a little bit more this year. He's I think he started the last three three matches and he's played a ton of minutes over that, that time period. So, you know, I, I don't know what more you can ask for a guy you're, you're basically paying the, the um, senior minimum to. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to me too. And he was making 225,000 last year, which I thought was still pretty cheap for what he was providing, even as a super sub. And I thought going into this season, you know, his role would be more of a super sub again. Um, and it, it, again, at 225, 225,000, that's not a bad deal. So I, w- I was shocked when the revs didn't pick up his option and, basically seemed ready to move on from him. And I was more shocked when he came back at the senior minimum salary. Uh, it's definitely a steal for the Revs to have Boateng on the supplemental roster, not counting as their salary cap, and now being a key starter for this team. And with Dylan Barrero out, you know his importance to this team becomes that much that's that much bigger. And we've seen it these past few games how well he's played as a starter, you know, going ninety minutes in some of these games. It's it's an absolute steal for the Revs. And again, another week where it's just shocking to see. We're reminded how shocking it is that he was available as a free agent this summer and, and nobody signed him. Uh, on that note, Porter on Discord asked, do you think Emo played himself into the starting 11? I mean, I think for the, at least in the short term, yes. You know, with without uh, Barrero in the lineup, I think if, if Bruce is going to roll out with uh, with wingers, I think uh, he's he's kind of worked himself into the first choice conversation there. Uh, and and he deserves it, right? We've seen him in the last couple of weeks really uh, be kind of a menace in the attack. What I loved about him uh, in last night's matchup was he was starting to do those sorts of things that that uh, Barrero had been doing, right? He'd been cutting inside. He'd been trying to find ways to get into the box a little bit more. We know that he's he's really good at getting to the end line and putting it across. And he did plenty of that last night as well. Um, but I saw a couple of instances of him, you know, making a smart run kind of into the box and, and trying to find some service from either Carlos Hill or from someone on the wings. So if he can keep adding that to his game, I don't I don't see him leaving the lineup anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, there's no way you can bench him the way he's playing right now. If he keeps playing like this, he's he's a kind of a, a guaranteed starter, I think, with Barrera out. And he should have had an assist last night, if not for Carlos Hill's shot being saved that led to Dewan Jones's goal. So he, he's been playing really, really well these past two games. And a- absolutely, he's a locked-in starter for me as long as he keeps playing like this. Um, and you know, part of it's not having many options, but part of it, too, is he's playing so well that even if they did have more options, I, I'm not sure you could bench him. Uh, Porter on Discord asked the opposite question about the opposite wing. Do you think Esmir has played himself out of the starting eleven? Uh, I don't know that he has necessarily played himself out of the starting eleven. I so I tweeted out last night that I thought he had a couple of tough moments. I, I was thinking of a few specific spots where he, you know, I think he gets bullied off the ball uh, by a defender at one point. Uh, the Reds were building up a pretty promising attack, and he receives the ball, and he just kind of gets bumped into him and loses it uh, later in the match. I think, you know, I don't know how much I can blame him for this one, but a cross comes over his way and it's a little bit hot and he just kind of mishandles it over the, uh, over the touchline. So there's a couple instances where I think he's, you know, he's a young player and he's still growing. So we, we kind of need to, I think maybe give him the benefit of doubt a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite ready to say that he, he should be out of the lineup, but you know, we'll need to see a little bit more from him if he's going to stay, uh, in the lineup uh, when the other wingers get healthy. Yeah, I, I think he. I don't think he's played himself out of the starting lineup. I think he's shown improvement over the season. You know, your concerns are the same as the ones that I had at the beginning of the season. That he's he's 
can be bullied off the ball. But at the same time, I thought in this game, you know, he had a lot of good moves too. He was, there was times where he was able to dribble past guys or he had good combination plays with the rest of the team. And I think you, you kind of have to take the good with the bad right now. He's a young guy, you know, not the biggest guy. You know, f- physically he can be bullied off the ball, but tactically he's a really solid player. And yes, he makes some mistakes, but I, I thought I was actually kind of impressed from him this game. Maybe my expectations are a little bit lower uh, from him from what I saw in some of the earlier games, but I thought he played pretty well this game. Um, and I, I think that as the season's gone on, he's you know taken steps forward and should continue to earn minutes. You know, when everyone's healthy, is he a, a guaranteed starter? No, but I, I wouldn't say he's played himself out of the starting lineup, especially with the injuries that the, the Revolution have. Uh, I don't know necessarily who you start over him. Uh, well, I think we'll, we have some questions that we'll talk more about that later. But I, I, I thought he played well enough to keep getting minutes and potentially keep getting starts. Yeah, I, I think we I think we have opposite uh, viewpoints. I think you maybe had lower expectations or were, were more impressed, and maybe I had higher expectations and were a little less impressed. Um, but you know that doesn't mean that he's not in a good spot in that kind of middle ground. And you know, I, to your point, I, I love his uh, you know his ability on the ball. He seems like he's got good tactical awareness. I did see him you know doing some good interplay with uh, with players on the wings as well. Um, and, you know, he, he seems like he is good with the ball at his feet. So, you know, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm, I'm coming off too harsh on him because I do like him as a player. But, uh, yeah, just a few nitpicks from last night for me. And Tyler O'Brien on Twitter says, how concerned should we feel about the dumb giveaways in midfield, particularly from Polster? I feel like a better team capitalizes on those errors. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there was I don't know, maybe like a five or a 10 minute stretch where he looked he looked rough out there. Um, and that's really uncharacteristic of, of Polster, right? He had a couple of giveaways. I think he he uh, was dispossessed in that in that stretch there. And he had a couple of passes that were not um, not sharp and, and ended up being interceptions and led to some pretty good chances. Um, but, you know, I, I think that is well, a, it's uncharacteristic of him, A, and B. It's also kind of his his bit of a slow reaction. The whole team had a slow reaction. There was a, a tactical shift after the Revs scored their first goal. If you watch the first 10 or so minutes of this match, Toronto is setting their line of confrontation, which is basically where on the field they decide they're going to start pressuring you when you have the ball. Uh, they set that at, at the midfield line for about the first 10 minutes. The Revs scored, and then all of a sudden it's kind of full-court press, uh, to, to borrow a basketball term, right? They're, they're pressing uh, all the way up the field, and I don't think the Revs handled that particularly well, any of them really. Um, there was a big chance that comes, I want to say, in like the 18th minute or so, um, where Buck uh, tries to tries to pass the Polster, and he just kind of he hits it, but he, he leaves it too far away from him. I think Polster assumes there's someone behind him that he's attempting to pass to, and there's just no one there. And I think uh, Insigne uh, manages to find the ball there, and he tries to chip uh, he tries to chip it in from about 35 yards, <laughs> which luckily for us it, it did not go in. But um, I think the whole team had a had a hard time with that. Um, but you know. Polster certainly uh, was was a big part of that with a couple of key giveaways. Um, yeah, I think I think you bring up a key point too with Buck because I think it wasn't just Polster. Polster was the most obvious one, but there were there were, there were other giveaways. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and I you know not to say that he didn't have a tough ten minutes, but if you go back and you look at the rest of his game, he actually ends up having a pretty decent game. Uh, Polster. Um, I haven't written in my notes somewhere, but I want to say he was okay. So he's fifty-two of fifty-nine overall passing. And he was only dispossessed the one time he had 13 recoveries. So, you know, in the at the end of the day, it's a pretty Matt Polster game. It's just that the the mistakes he did make were were particularly impactful in that, you know, 15-minute stretch. 
yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely a little bit worrying to me to, to see the amount of giveaways they had there. You, you make a great point about the tactical shift and the revs not adjusting to it. Um, but you know, I, I, I wouldn't be too concerned yet because I, I agree with you. It's uncharacteristic from Polster. Um, but, and again, I, I do think it wasn't just him. There was that buck giveaway. Uh, there were other players that had giveaway. Those are the ones that the, those three, the two Polster ones and the buck ones stood out to me the most, but it, they weren't the only ones that were kind of making those mistakes in that period. And they did settle down eventually after that. You know, there, there was one point where I was concerned if Polster was going to do that again, that maybe it was time to, to make a sub at halftime and switch things up. It just wasn't going to be his game, but he did settle down to his credit, uh, and, and played pretty well after that. Yeah. And, and still on that point, Porter on Discord asked, or, or says Polster looked shaky early on but got better in the second half, as, as we noted. Uh, and then he says, do you think Buck could play a six role with Blessing as an eight and maybe bring Polster off the bench? I, yeah, I mean, I think I think he could in a pinch, right? I think my preference is still to have Polster as, as the six. But, you know, I've liked everything I've seen from, uh, from Buck this season. Uh, I think I don't have it uh, up in front of me, but I want to say he had the second highest uh, FOT mob rating of any of the... Rebs players behind Dewan Jones, and you know he got the goal, so that's going to bump his rating up quite a bit. Uh, I thought he was, you know, aside from you know that that giveaway that we we just mentioned, and maybe a few other spots, I thought he looked solid tonight, uh, both you know in distribution and defensively. So I wouldn't be mad if we used uh, if we used Buck as the six, but you know I still think that Polster's probably got a leg up on him there, and I like him a little, you know, I like him a little further forward doing some more distribution. So. I agree with you. I like the interchange that Buck and Polster have and their ability to kind of take turns getting forward. And I think if you put Blessing there instead of Polster, you're you're stuck with Buck playing further back and limiting his offensive contributions. The other thing I'll say, too, is you know we're concerned about some of Polster's shakiness in this game, some of his giveaways. My one knock on Blessing is that Blessing has had some pretty bad giveaways in the middle of the field. You go back to that LAFC game in particular, he had one that went, led to a goal. Um, and, you know, when you talk about what happens against better teams, I think we saw that in the LFC game when you're having you know, giveaways in midfield, teams can capitalize on that. Uh, but to me, if your concern is with Polster's kind of giveaways, I think Blessing has that same problem and maybe more pronounced of a way, too. So I, I like Blessing as an eight. I like him, you know, rotating in when, when guys are out injured. I also think that when we're talking about who can fill in for Barrero and who can play on the wings, that Blessing was a guy that could play on the wings in the past. He has a lot of pace. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him get some minutes on the wings to see what he can do there but to me if, if the concern is pollsters a couple of giveaways i don't think that putting in blessing who I, I think has been more consistent with his giveaways is the answer yeah right we i mean i think we all like blessing for for what he provides which is you know kind of a relentless energy and you know he, he does do pretty nice things uh, with distribution in in the midfield but you're right he does give the ball away cheaply sometimes and that's kind of built into the kind of the kind of player he is. Um, so I'm not sure that, yeah, that, that putting him in a, a further defensive spot is, is really the, the best idea. Um, I like the idea of putting him on the wings where he played at the wing or he played on the wing in, in Kansas city. I think, I don't know how much he played on the wing uh, in LA, if any, um, but he was playing a little further, further up the pitch. So, you know, he could, he could fit in there to your points. Um, but yeah, I'm not ready to, to take a uh, pollster out and, and just have buck and uh, blessing in there. And we got a couple of comments slash jokes about uh, the commentators last night. I don't know if you noticed, but they called Esmir. Esmir got subbed out and then they called no buck Esmir a couple times and they called yeah. Justin Rennick's Esmir. Um, also, Alfred on Twitter says, despite Esmir continuing to play 20 minutes after he's been subbed out, uh, how would you rank Brandon Bias performance on Lorenzo Insigne? 
so yes, I know I did notice that, and I actually I was reading around uh, elsewhere uh, comments on Reddit or, or whatever, and it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just that. It sounds like the commentators had a hard time with uh, with player names last night. Uh, I think they they a couple times referred to Shane O'Neill as Sean O'Neill. I think they yep. missed a couple of other names, so maybe not the best performance uh, from from. Apple uh, MLS season pass announcers in that game. Um, but, you know, I honestly, I thought both the fullbacks, both uh, by and Jones did a pretty good job at, you know, kind of pocketing the, the big Italian stars, right? Um, you know, they are a team, uh, Toronto is a team that really could use, uh, you know, kind of a central attacking uh, focal point. Um, but they're instead a team that has kind of two high-powered uh, attacking wingers that they really like to use and, and drag inside. So a lot of their focal uh, point in the attack kind of comes up the flanks through Bernadeschi or through Insigne. And, and so, you know, Bai and Jones were both tasked with a pretty heavy load um, trying to stop those guys from not just, you know, running up the flanks, but also cutting inside and, and kind of in their play in, in the midfield there. So they had a lot of work to do, but I think they both did pretty well. Um, I think Insigne had the most uh, expected goals, but he also took like seven or eight shots in this game. So, you know, the, they were pretty low quality chances. And, you know, I think you got to give give credit where it's due to both uh, both fullbacks in this game. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I thought both of them had a really good game. And you know, this, despite the fact that they were up a lot of the time, they were really involved in the attack throughout this one, but still managed to do a really good job locking down Insigne Bernadeschi. Uh, Lorea, to a lesser extent, when he got forward, he was he was a dangerous player. But I thought the Revs did a really, really good job. Um, Brandon Bayan, Dewan Jones in particular, locking those guys down. And, and once again, you wonder how they managed to get forward as much as they do and still do that in a game like this. Yeah. Uh to your point about them continuing to get forward, um, I don't. Uh, if you guys go and check my Twitter, I, I retweeted this, but there's basically a heat map of where all the the revs actions happened on the field. And, and to my point, uh, my key takeaway point, uh, they did not shy away from continuing to use the wings, and a lot of that came through by and Jones up the wings. So um, the middle of the field they did use, but I, I think about the same as they usually do, right? So it, the Revs are a pretty wing-heavy team. They have those fullbacks they like to push forward. They have those wingers that they like to use. So, um, you know, they, they got plenty of use in the attack as well, both of those guys. Tyler O'Brien on Twitter wants to know, which of the three Esmeras was the best Esmer? <laughs> uh, uh, let's give it to original Esmer, right? <laughs> Not to, I think. I thought Buck, when he had some time on the wing, looked pretty good. I'll, I'll give him some credit, too. That's <laughs> <laughs> um alvin eats on twitter wants to know what do you think bobby wood josie Altador, and bruce arena talk about when they all hang out I, I i don't know what you think but i'm gonna assume it's not trinidad and tobago no it, it certainly couldn't be <laughs> no no that that they must talk about anything but that yeah just try to avoid the topic <laughs> Um, New England Till I Die on Twitter says 11 games into the season who has been the best offseason acquisition between romney blessing and wood this is a tough question uh, for me. I, I saw this on Twitter last night, and I, I spent some time thinking about it. Um, I think the best acquisition for me is still going to be Romney, just because he's been ever-present on that back line, and the refs have been, you know, I think, much improved defensively this year. You know, I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for not only, you know, kind of showing up the defense with Kessler, but also having to kind of, like, learn a new center-back pairing when Andrew Farrell came back and when Kessler uh, went out. So... I, I, you know, I think I'm going to give him, uh, you know, the top spot, but Wood has been a 
a real pleasant surprise, I'll say. Uh, you know, he got his third goal last night. I don't think we can complain too much about his work rate. I don't think we can complain too much about his holdup. So, you know, it was it was kind of a tough decision. And then, of course, Blessing's also been good. You know, we just haven't seen as, as much of him. But um, for me, it's going to be Romney. But it was a tough decision. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, the logic is the same. And Romney's just been ever-present this season, played really, really well as a center back, stepped right in like he'd been part of this team forever. Um, so it, it's got to be Romney for me. Uh, we also, you know, Wood has been fantastic. We don't know what his salary is. I think that if, if you told me his salary was, you know, close to the league minimum, I <laughs> he might enter that conversation. But uh, he was making a million dollars last year with, with Salt Lake. And if his salary is anything close to that, then I think it's still easily Romney for me because as good as Wood has been, I still don't know that he's a million-dollar player. Um, I, my assumption is he took a heavy pay cut, but until we know what that is, it's it's got to be Romney for me. Right. I I bet he took a pay cut, um, but you know if he, he he hasn't played every match, um, and if he gets more minutes going forward, I you know I don't see any reason to think he should stop scoring the way he has. So maybe we'll see how this shakes out at the end of the season, but uh, I won't be surprised if he puts up ten goals this year. No, and if you told me that, if you told me that when they first signed him, I would have said you're crazy. Exactly, because yeah. <laughs> I think he's put up ten goals once in his career, right. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a very, very long time ago. Uh, Hussan Kowaf on Twitter says, "You know, you have a great team when you lose multiple stars for injuries, and you still do not miss a beat." Agree with that. Um, and then he says, "Bo was not on the injury report, and does not seem like he got a new injury." According to somebody on Rev's Twitter, he was in Disney World. How committed is he to the team? I, there's no confirmation of that. I don't necessarily believe that. Um, but uh, I, I don't know if you have any response to how committed he is to the team. I, I I don't put any stock in him being in Disney World from one person tweeting that somebody saw him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, right. I, if he is at Disney, you know, maybe we can if we can talk about it. But I, you know, I have no confirmation that he was anywhere uh, in particular. Uh, you know, he's, I don't know that it's a, it's a commitment thing, right? He's, he's an older player now. He's, he's picked up some injuries. You know, I don't think we can knock him for, for being injured. So, um, you know, I, I think his commitment is, is adequate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, there's been every game, there's been somebody that we didn't expect to see injured. That wasn't on the injury report. That's been out. There's always somebody that's surprising us, which is uh, unfortunate, but I don't, I don't take anything in particular away from uh, Gustavo Bo being out this game. Um, and I, you know, I, I assume it was some sort of injury that maybe he got in training or re-aggravated or, or whatnot. Um, Jeff Lemieux said he's working; his, he's still working his way back from the injury that kept him out recently, which is, uh, you know, a little bit unusual since he played last week. But at the same time, I, I, I you know, people pick up knocks in training, people re-injured themselves in training, people have a set setback. That could have been anything. Um, he also said, Hussan also said, looking back at how late Gustavo Bo joined the team this season and his overall contribution to the team so far this year, considering his salary, is it not time to move on from both him and Josie by next season or maybe even earlier? And Thomas E. Thumb on, on Twitter also says, serious question, why is Altidore on the team? Uh, great question. Great question. <laughs> um, I, so I don't know. At the salary that, that Josie's getting paid, I'm not sure what he's bringing uh, that that I'm not seeing, maybe that Bruce is seeing. Uh, you know, that said, I actually thought he looked perhaps the most motivated I've ever seen him on the Revs uh, in, in last night's game. Uh, and I when I mean when I say that is, you know, I saw him making proactive runs. I saw him not just reacting to the game and kind of receiving passes and just trying to you know, lay the ball off or, or get knocked down. He did that, you know, one or two times. But he was also making, uh, you know, he was trying to get himself involved. Uh, he played 30 minutes, 29 minutes. Uh, I think he had 18 touches is what I have written down here, um, which, 
you know, maybe not, doesn't sound like a lot, but the Revs were up two nothing at that point. Uh, so there, you know, may not have been a huge need to use a center forward. Uh, and, and, uh, I think that paces out for higher than, than Bobby Wood was involved, uh, in his 60 minutes. So, you know, I don't necessarily know if I buy into the whole revenge game narrative, but, uh, it, it did seem from the eye test like there was a little extra motivation from him last night. I agree with you. It did seem like he was a little bit more motivated. There was more hustle from him in this game, I thought. there was. It just seemed like he was more into the game than we've seen from him recently. Um, with that said, uh, you know <laughs> his, his salary is insane. We don't know exactly what the Revs are contributing, but my, my assumption is they're probably contributing close to Max Tam for him. Um, and you know, next year Toronto is not contributing anything to his salary, so the, it's all on the revs. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, again, while this was a little bit of a better performance than we've seen from him, I thought uh, I still don't know why he's on the team. Um, and other than the fact that he's guaranteed a lot of money, and I think the Revolution would rather give him as much opportunity as possible to see him come good on that salary rather than just eat it and have it be dead money. Um, it, you know, well, not dead in the fact that they'd have it free from the salary cap, but just money that they'd have to eat. So I think that's why he's still on the team. But at the same time, I think the Revolution could much better use that salary elsewhere. Um, as far as Gustavo Bo, I still think Gustavo Bo is the best goal scorer on this Revolution team until somebody proves otherwise. And uh, you know, we've seen him this year. He's still a very good player. Uh, unfortunately, at his age, he does get injured more. Um, but I, I assume that he'll contribute a lot more to this team this season and that the Revolution will probably move on in the offseason because at his age, it doesn't make sense to keep him as a DP. So unless he's willing to take a, a serious pay cut, um, I assume this is probably his last season on the Revolution. I know he's wanted to go back to, I think, Argentina to play, and you know he might have that opportunity after this year. But I, I still think Bo has a lot to offer the team this season, and then probably for both parties, unless he's going to take a big pay cut, it doesn't make sense to bring him back next year. Yeah, I, I, you know, to the to the question, why is he still here? He's still here because his contract runs up at the end of the year, and so just from a you know a business side of things, it doesn't make a ton of sense to to cut him when you have you know just a few months left on the salary before you know you don't have to pay anything for him to to not be on the team if that's what you want. Um, that said, I still think he's I think he contributes. You know, I, we've we've seen him score a couple of goals this year, and, and he scored that one. I'm forgetting against the opponent. Um, maybe it was Nashville. Um, where he he blasts it, you know, kind of near near post, and I don't know that there's really other than Carlos Heel anyone on this team that I I feel confident can make that kind of shot. So and, you know, until the Revs find someone else who who have that kind of you know goal scorers instinct and who have that kind of precision in shooting, I don't know that uh, it makes sense to to come. And Mike Dion on Twitter had a question about Bobby Wood. He said, is Wood playing well enough to keep starting even when a healthy Vrioni and Gustavo Bo are available? <laughs> and, you know, that's a tough question because he has been in, in the minutes he's played, you know, he's got three goals. I don't, I don't know exactly how many starts he has, um, but it, it's not that many. Um, so he, he's been scoring at a rate that, that I would accept as, you know, kind of a, Maybe not locked and loaded starter, but as a as someone I feel comfortable with uh, in in the starting lineup, I don't think uh, if if both of those guys are healthy that he he becomes first choice. But you know he's a guy that that plays hold up pretty well, and it seems like neither Bo nor Brioni are particularly uh, well equipped to do that. So you know maybe that's a skill set that keeps him in the starting lineup for longer. Yeah, his minutes per goal right now are 167 minutes, which is is really good. He's almost you know more than a goal every other game, and on top of that, he's got two assists, both primary. So he's right. and his 
502 minutes of play, three goals, two assists is is really impressive. That's almost a goal or assist per 90 minutes, just just shy of that. So he's he's definitely played well enough to stay in the starting lineup. You know, I think when Gustavo Bo and Giacomo Rioni are healthy, Bruce Arena needs to try to find a way to play the two of them together, which does put Bobby Wood on the bench. I think there's a lot of minutes to go around. We you know, we talk about Bo and his age. You know, he's not a 90-minute player every game. There's plenty of opportunities for for Wood to play. Giacomo Rioni, he's been consistently getting a lot of injuries too. It seems like he might be a little bit injury prone or you know just dealing with training or whatever, whatever it is. So there's there's plenty of minutes to go around. But I do think Bruce Arena needs to at least try to find a way to have Rioni and Bo on the field at the same time, which would mean Wood sits. With, with that said, I completely agree with your point that Bobby Wood is you know offers a, a hold up quality in his play that Rioni and Bo don't have. And you know until I see otherwise, I feel like Bobby Wood is probably a better compliment to Gustavo Bo than Rioni is, and he's also probably a better compliment to Rioni than Gustavo Bo is. Right. Uh, I, both both Rioni and Bo like to play face and goal, and Wood is comfortable either way. He's comfortable holding up the ball and, and playing with his back to goal. Rioni and Bo don't seem to be. Um, maybe I just haven't seen it from Rioni yet. Maybe that changes, but uh, I think Bo plays really well off of a guy like Wood, and I think Rioni probably would play pretty well off a guy like Wood, and I don't know yet that Rioni and Bo play well off each other because we haven't seen it. Yeah, and they both, you know, both Bo and Brioni feel like players that that want, you know, someone to help set them up, uh, and and they both feel like they'd probably benefit from playing next to another forward that likes to set people up and, and has that skill set. So, you know, we could very well see uh, Bobby would would stay in the lineup, uh, stay in the starting lineup if if that's not uh, something that they can do themselves between uh, Bo and Brioni. Sticking with the strikers, Derek Terrell on Twitter says, how do you rank our five strikers from worst to best? <laughs> uh, I saw this one. Um, I, I think it's, uh, for me, uh, I'm still going to put Vrioni at, at the top. And I, you know, this was the, the toughest part of it for me. Um, just because we we know what uh, Bo can provide. I, I just talked up his, you know, his kind of goal scorers. Uh, you know, he has that you know, that bit of venom in his shots uh, that I don't know that anybody else has. Um, but it came down for me to um, just what the potential of Rioni could be. He's now got three goals on the season. He hasn't played a ton of minutes. Um, and I think if we can kind of find a way to get him into a rhythm, uh, he, for me, seems like the one that's going to score the most the most goals of the, of the group. Um, then for me, it, it's probably Bo. Then, uh, unfortunately, just for no good reason at all, apparently, uh, Wood, Wood ends up in the three spots. Uh, and then it's uh, it's got to be Renix and then Altidore for me. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you, and I'm going to put Bo at the top because I, it is all about potential for Bioni right now. And until I – I mean, we've seen some, some moments from him certainly recently. I don't want to take that away. But until we see more, i got to keep Bo at the top for what he's done for this team and his ability to kind of score from anywhere on the pitch for the Revs. Um, and after that, it's tough to go between Wood and Brioni. I, I, like you, think that Brioni is going to be the better player. Wood has probably contributed more so far to this team. I, I might have put Rioni at two, but it's not really fair to Wood. Uh, Wood at three, and then like you, Renix at four, and I have to put Altidore last, just be you know, until until he can show some semblance of the player that he was, you know, five years ago. Which even when we're seeing some moments from him, it's nothing like that. 
and honestly, the difference between uh, Renix and Altidore at the, at the end there is is not as great as it uh, as it seems, right? It's a, a lot of it is based on uh, salary differences for me there. I think they both contribute uh, kind of similarly. I, I think Renix probably has a little bit more hustle in his game, um, yes. but at the at the back end there, it's all salary. That, that's what it is for me. It's the it's the hustle that Renix puts out there because we've seen games where Altidore seems to have tired after 10 minutes and coming as a sub and ha- hasn't done enough for me where you never question Renix on that. So uh, that's that's where it falls for me. Uh, Mike D on Twitter wants to know, with Blessing looking up to speed again, where do we play Bo, Ima Boateng, Rioni, Buck, and Blessing in an 11? And can you? <laughs> uh, wow, there's a lot of players. Um, <laughs> so I, I think... Uh, we could see the Revs uh, official social media put out their lineup and it looked like they lined up in a 4-3-3. I think that probably was a 4-3-3 slash hybrid 4-2-3-1 throughout the game. Um, but in a 4-3-3, I don't mind a, a three-man midfield that is, um, you know, Polster and um, Blessing and Heel. Uh, and, and maybe you can, you know, stick Buck in there uh, to, to fill a couple of those spots. But uh if you're going to play that way, then I, I think you're probably looking at a, at a lone striker that kind of makes it tough to, to pick and choose between the strikers you have on the roster. And then, of course, you'll need, uh, you know, you'll need wingers like we played uh, last night. If the Revs want to go with a, a two forward formation, that kind of does make Blessing kind of in a, in a weird spot between Buck and Blessing uh, in the midfield to kind of fill one spot. So. It, it's tough. I mean, it's it's. I don't want to say it's an embarrassment of riches at this point because the Revs have had so many injuries and have had to use so much depth. But uh, you know, there's plenty of guys who can step in. Yeah, and it, again, they have so much depth this year that I think there's going to be a lot of rotation throughout the seasons if guys do get healthy. So there are plenty of minutes to go around. How do you fit all of them on the same field on the field at the same time? Not so easily. Um, I do think it's a question of do Buck and Blessing do one of them play on the wing and both of them have shown the buck has shown some capability of doing that blessing earlier in his career played there. So I, I don't know if that's the route that Bruce Arena wants to go. I think he might be better off playing guys that are more natural in those positions or, or, or been playing there more regularly recently. But if you're going to fit all those guys in the field, you probably have to put one of those two on the wing. I, I, well, again, this is assuming I guess that we're keeping Polster in the lineup, which I think both of both of us agree we should. Um, if you're keeping Polster in the lineup, I think it's a question of you know do, do, does Blessing or Buck go on the wing, and then you know maybe maybe if you're playing a one striker system, do you put Bo on the wing too? But then you're then you don't have a place for Ema. So there's there's I guess there's I'm talking myself out of there being a good option to put all of them on the field at the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it, it, I I've looked through a couple of different possible lineups, and it it always to me feels like there's a guy that I wish I could put in that just doesn't doesn't fit in any given lineup, and that's you know. That's a good thing uh, for the reps to have, you know, enough good players if they don't have enough starting spots. I mean, how, how many times last year did you look at the bench and think there was really wasn't a game changer on the bench, or maybe the only game changer was Ima Boateng? I think that's a good thing this year that there are a lot of guys that could be starting that you can't necessarily fit in the lineup. Um, because at, le- at least for me last year, there were a lot of games where you look at that Revolution bench and want to change a game. And outside of Ima Boateng, if he was there, there w- wasn't really an option, and that shouldn't be the case this season. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I think you know we've got we've got more depth this year, and I think Arena did a good job in the off season, kind of filling the necessary holes, and uh, that's given us the depth that we need to to keep things going. And we kind of already touched on this one, um, but Matt Clayman on Twitter says, "How do you think the Revs will start at left wing going forward in replacement of Barrero? Boateng has played well there recently, but do you think he will stay there, or will it be by committee?" 
I, I, for me, I think Boateng is, has worked himself into the starting lineup for the time being. Um, I think Bruce likes to, to roll with a hot hand as well. And I don't think we've seen anything from, from Boateng that says he shouldn't continue to start. Um, if his form dips or, you know, last year it seemed like a concern was, uh, you know, that he wasn't quite a 90 minutes uh, player. You know, he would be good off the bench. He'd have all that energy off the bench. But when we tried to start him, he just couldn't uh, couldn't impact the game for the full 90 minutes. So if, if we start to see that kind of creep back in, you know, maybe it, it starts to be by committee. But for now, uh, based upon the last three games, I think you keep rolling with him. And he also wants to know if the Revs will consider bringing in another winger in the summer transfer window. You touched on this one, but do, do you think that happens? Uh, do I think it should happen? Uh, yes. Do I think it will happen? You know, you never know. <laughs> Given uh, Bruce Arena's track record, he might bring in, you know, an old uh, 35-year-old former U.S. men's national teamer to play left back or something like that. We don't know. Um, I, I stipulated on on Twitter earlier in the week that I think maybe Paul Ariola could be a good fit. I know that uh, the Galaxy were, were possibly looking at trading for him at the trade deadline. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I think he picked up an injury in last night's game, so maybe that's off. But uh, I think that kind of player could make a lot of sense for the Revs, right? Someone who has not just the ability to kind of like get the ball and, and speed up the wings and interplay with you know with uh, an outside back, but someone who has the ability to to take players on in the dribble and shoot. Um, you know, I, I I still think that's a, a component of the Revs uh, roster that is is missing without Barrero. So. I, I would love to see them go out and get someone who can offer that kind of uh, dynamism up front. Yeah, I think I think they should, and I'm also not convinced that they will. But it will be interesting to see what they do. I, I do think that you know this is a situation where it would be great if the Revs could look at an opportunity to get someone short term. Like, is there somebody in Europe that could do with a six month loan for the Revolution uh, to just play through the season to you know kind of deal with the fact that the Revolution have this the spot this U22 spot that they can use, but may not have it next year. So. Um, I, I think they should go get a winger. I'm not. I'm kind of 50-50 on whether they do. There are other areas of the field that it, they might want to address. I think the center back depth with Henry Kessler out long term. You know, you know. Again, I, I'm not completely sold that Omar Gonzalez could fill in if another guy got injured for any significant period. I don't know about McCoon yet whether he could fill in. I think that's an area they might want to address. I think at fullback. They brought in Ben Sweat. I don't know that anyone's sold on him yet. Uh, but if if it was me, I would definitely try to bring in a winger this summer. Yeah, and to that point, I actually, you know, I'm not convinced that winger is is the position of greatest need. I think that's, you know, if they bring in a player of of Dylan Barrero's kind of qualities, that would help lift the team's ceiling the most. But, uh, you know, we are dangerously close to to having not great options in in both outside back and center back. So, yeah, to your point, I think there's positions that, that also need addressing, not just wings. Apollo S. on Twitter says, Jones is my man of the match, but Farrell has also looked very good and been so solid. He's playing better than Henry Kessler for sure. More of a statement than a question, but do you, do you agree that Farrell's been better than Kessler? Uh, I don't know that I necessarily agree that he's been better, but I think he's done an absolutely admirable job uh, since since coming in. And, you know, this is something we, we've seen from Farrell for years. Uh, you know, he's a veteran in this league. He knows, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's maybe lost a little bit of the speed he had, you know, 10 years ago, but he's, he's still got enough of it to be able to make those recovery runs. Uh, but mostly he's just, you know, he's a smart veteran. He knows where to position himself. He knows when to go in for tackles, uh, you know, and he's been a little less, you know, mistake prone this season in his, his last couple of games than we saw him last year, right? Both he and Kessler actually gave up a lot of penalties last year. So, um, you know, 
I, I'm very pleased with with what I've seen from Farrell so far this year. And you know, we're we're lucky that uh, you know with with Kessler out, we have a player of Andrew Farrell's quality to to kind of fill in. But I'm not quite ready to say he's he's been better yet. I, I agree with you. I think it's it's I think both of them have had or Kessler had a really good season until he was injured, and I think Farrell's filled in really really well. Um, I was a little bit down on Kessler after last year. I thought Kessler had an off season, you know, both with injuries and just his general form. Uh, but I, th- I think he was fantastic to start the season and kind of made me eat my words that I was predicting that he would be benched by the end of the year and Farrell would be starting. Of course, now he's benched because of his injury and Farrell starting. Um, not how I saw that going. But, you know, I-, I think both of them have been really, really good. And I wouldn't rate one over the other at this point uh, because Kessler, to me, really kind of proved me wrong that he did really well this season after what I thought was kind of a poor season from him last year uh any revs uk mike on twitter says he feels that when bruce took bobby out of the game rioni should have seen the field to play was it just bruce giving his guy josie some minutes or does he not trust rioni despite him hitting a bit bit of form before the injury i i mean i think it's a it's a thing where the revs were up a goal uh at that at that point um you know and and we didn't get to see again i don't necessarily believe in this revenge game narrative but you know we didn't get to see him uh, josie play against toronto last season the reps didn't play toronto until i want to say mid-july of last year they played them twice uh, i think once in july and maybe once in august um but just before that first meeting uh, the revs loaned josie down to puebla and you know if it, it, it did seem like he was he was more motivated in this game so maybe bruce just you know could see that josie wanted to maybe stick one to his old team uh, that that cut him uh, in the off season um, and decided to go that way uh you know and and we still have Vrioni coming back from that that knock he picked up in training. So, you know, for me, it's it's not a horrible decision. Of course, I'd rather see Vrioni out there in general, but um, I, I'm not too mad about it. Yeah, I think it was purely situational. You touched on it. The Revs were up a goal at that point. I think if the Revs were down a goal or tied, we would have seen Vrioni, assuming he was you know, fit enough to play uh, over Josie Altidore. I think what we saw from the Revs in this game, they were playing really well. They were playing well off Bobby Wood, who's more of a similar type of striker to Josie Altidore. I think if you bring Rioni in that situation, the style of play kind of changes for the reasons we talked about earlier. He's not really a hold-up striker. He's a guy that likes running at people and you know, having guys set him up. And when you're playing with the lead, I think Bruce Arena is more comfortable playing in the style that they were in with more of a hold-up guy up top. And on paper, Altidore is more of that guy. Now, if it was up to me and Vrioni was healthy, would I put in Vrioni anyways? Yes, because I don't, I don't trust Josie. But uh, I, I, do, I do think Josie put in the effort in this game. And what wasn't the you know most shining performance, I think he did enough. And I, I understand Bruce's kind of thought process of putting Josie on when this team is winning kind of allows them to keep playing the way they're playing and probably puts them in a better position to to hold on to a lead than putting Rioni on, which is what you would have done if you were chasing a goal. Yeah, and and uh, to the point you made about, uh, about Wood kind of uh, being involved as holdup, uh, I think it was Sam Minton on Twitter, uh, and if you're not following him, go check him out. Uh, he tweeted out the, the pass map from this match, and if you look at where the uh, where the architecture of these passes are, you see the striker is kind of tucked in almost right next to Carla's heel. Um, and they were kind of using Bobby Wood um, in kind of like a buildup type of type of way. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily a super strong suit of, of uh, Altidore's, but Vrioni, I think where he's probably best is trying to sneak in behind the back line, you know, timing his runs and just trying to take a ball over the top, which we saw him do to great effect uh, on a couple of his uh, good shots and goals earlier this season. So, 
you know, it could be a situation where Bruce thought maybe they just wanted someone who could, you know, turn back to goal and, and receive the ball and you know, either get knocked down like uh, Josie seems to do a little easily, I think, <laughs> or, um, or you know, maybe lay the ball back off to, to heel and let him kind of dictate the tempo from there. And I do want to quickly jump back to the last question because there was one point I wanted to make that I forgot to make. And that's just when we're talking about Andrew Farrell, he had one pass in this game in the first half, a fantastic cross field pass to kind of spring an attack that I didn't really think was part of his repertoire generally. So I wanted to give him credit for that because that's not yeah. usually when I'm talking about Farrell, not usually something I talk about. <laughs> yes, they, they made mention of it on the broadcast and it was a great pass. Uh, on any revs you can discord also wants to know how much squad rotation do you feel the revs will be in what the revs will put in place for the game versus pittsburgh on tuesday i would still expect pretty pretty heavy squad rotation you know the the team is is pretty deep so i mean i think the revs have you know a, a decent a decent set of, of non-starters that they can play and i don't know that bruce is going to want to you know with all the injuries we've had necessarily risk any of the starters uh, playing 90 minutes in, in open cup uh, it's it's not a tournament that I feel like he puts a ton of stock into anyways. And, you know, playing uh, a lower division club, I, I will not be surprised if it's it's similar to last uh, last game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a completely different 11 than what we saw in this game. I don't I don't think any of the guys that started this game, with the exception of maybe Ejmir, will will get the start in this one. Uh, so I, I don't think that Bruce Arena will put out his anything close to his best 11 against Pittsburgh. If they're playing an MLS team, maybe that changes the calculus a little bit. bit. Um, and that's not to say that the Revolution couldn't lose to Pittsburgh with a, with a B team. They certainly could. Uh, but I, I think Bruce Arena is not going to put out his top lineup, and I expect just about everyone that started this game to not start Tuesday. Uh, Mike Collins on Discord says four, to five, four out of the five games in May are away. Do the Revs finish May at the top of the East? If not, where are they? Uh, you know, I, I want to say no. They probably won't finish the month at the top of the East. And I only say that because Cincinnati, tied on points with the Revs, has a pretty home-heavy May. I want to say three of their four matches are, are at home. It could be uh, it could be different from that. I, I have to go back and double-check. But I know that they played a home game. They won uh, last night, and I think they have a couple more home games uh, coming up. So just based upon you know how home-road splits tend to go in MLS and the fact that we're tied on points with Cincinnati, I think it's probably going to – if it's going to split one way, it's probably going to split their way. Um, but that isn't to say that I don't think the Revs – can can do a good job collecting points you know i think they're three one and one on the road this year or maybe it's just no yeah three and one and one three wins and then they have, of course had that terrible loss in, in la and then they had the drive in columbus so you know they've they've shown that they don't necessarily need to be at home to to put together complete performances this year and it's kind of the same way that they did in in 2021 right um you know they they stick around in games even on the road and and Sometimes they are able to to put a couple in the net, and if they can put two goals in the net, they're they're in pretty good shape. So, uh, yeah, I, I I'm not saying that I I think they'll uh, fall too far down the standings, but just based upon uh, Cincinnati being at home a lot in May, I think I think they may overtake us. Yeah, I mean the the Revs are are six points above third, so they're tied with Cincinnati, and then after that it's a six point drop. I don't think the Revs fall below second at the end of May. Um, but I kind of agree with you. I would, I would tend to lead. I would tend to think that Cincinnati finishes the month on top and the Revs fall at the second. And, and it's not just the fact that the Revs are on the, on the road. They're, it's a tough schedule. They have Miami on the road. Miami's been playing better lately. I think they've won two in a row. They have Philadelphia on the road. You know, Philadelphia is always a very tough place to play. They're one of the best teams in the league. And they have Atlanta on the road. And we know Atlanta is always an extremely tough place to play. Uh, and then you know, between all that, they have a home game against Chicago, which is kind of a must-get must three points based on 
in that matchup. Uh, but there are definitely places where the Revolution will probably drop points this month. And Cincinnati, as you mentioned, have, I think, of the games remaining, I think they do have two more home games um, this month. Yeah, they're home against Montreal. That's a game that they should probably win. They're home against Columbus. That's a game that they can win. They're on the road to Colorado. Uh, Colorado is a tough place to play, but that's not a great team. And then they're on the road to New York City FC, which is always tough. So if, if I was a, a betting man, I would say the Revolution probably finished the month in second. Uh, but I, I think it's within their capability to finish in first. It's just a, it is a very tough schedule the rest of May. Yes. And, and uh, I, I put out an analysis. I've been uh, keeping track of, you know, this is, of course, a, not a real science that I'm doing here. But uh, the, the power rankings that come out every week on MLSsoccer.com, they basically are just a panel of experts that come up with a, you know, a general vibe ranking of all the teams in MLS. I've been keeping track of those throughout the course of the season. And if you plot out uh, the, the power rankings of the teams that the Revs are playing in the week that they are playing them, we get an average of about, I think, 15, I think it was 15.4. Uh, Cincinnati has the same number of points. They've played, I think, an extra game on the road, and they have uh, they've played on average by power rankings a tougher set of opponents. Uh, I think theirs their average was about thirteen point three. So, you know, Cincinnati's no slouch. I think they they've looked a little uh, maybe touch and go at times, but you know they're getting results and and against you know pretty decent opposition. And we have one last question, which was directed at me by Sam Mitten of the Blazing Musket. He, If you haven't listened to the podcast, I'm a big Tottenham fan. He says, since the match was played in Canada and the announcer mentioned hockey, the Bruins attended the Tottenham game today. Is that the reason they collapsed in the playoffs? So that's um, it's a pretty, pretty mean comment from Sam. <laughs> but but uh, as someone that can uh, recognize how bad Spurs are, I actually was texting with Greg when I saw that they were at the game and told him that, if the Bruins wanted to be at a game where they could have a team rub off on them that doesn't choke, they really picked the wrong one. So <laughs> I can I can admit it's been a very rough season for Spurs. <laughs> um, Andy, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, I was I was trying to look for an opportunity to to weave this fact into into conversation, but it didn't come up naturally. But I, I do want to give credit to Bruce Arena uh, for his. First win against Bob Bradley since, uh, what do I have here? July 18th of 1998. Um, it's a long they, time. <laughs> they played each other very few times, surprisingly, for being uh, you know, head coaches for so long, and, and both of them having coached in MLS for so long. Um, but they've only, uh, they've only played each other seven times in MLS, uh, and I think three of those were in uh, 1998. Uh, because the two years before that, Bob Bradley was an assistant coach underneath uh, Bruce Arena, and uh, so the last time that, that Bruce Arena won was uh, was a home game uh, for DC United against Chicago Fire in in 1998, and then since then it's been uh, two draws and two losses. So so congrats to him. That that is a great stat. <laughs> um, and before we wrap up, where can people find your writing, and where can they find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if you want to find uh, my articles, I write one every week or I try to write one every week, uh, depending on, on my schedule. But you can find those over at Boston Sports Nation, which is uh, bossportsnation.com. Uh, if you click on the little revolution banner at the at the top of the page, that'll bring you to all of my content or you can just you know uh, go through all the content there. There's a lot of good stuff up on that site. Uh, and you can check out my Twitter. I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Andy Rebs Nation. Uh, and I post all my, my articles there, and I, I post additional analysis there as well. 
Well, thanks so much, Andy. I really appreciate your time joining us today. You can follow me at Sean L. Donahue, and of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Revolution Recap. If you are not one of the 100 people that have rated us on iTunes, please do on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out our friends in the Blazing Musket. Check out Andy at Boston Sports Nation. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back after – well, I don't know if we'll be back after the Open Cup game, but we'll be back next weekend either way with another podcast.